The following program is brought to you by the friends and partners of Creation Today and by viewers like you. Thank you. Your children or grandchildren could find themselves dealing with life from other planets. Marianne Evolution predicts aliens are real. We're going to send people to Mars hoping to find what? Alien life, of course. Come on, or at least signs that life could have evolved there. Today, we're going to take a look at the scientific apologetic that can answer this question, is the Earth really the only place where life can exist? There's a war going on in our world against Christianity. Are you ready to defend your faith in Christ? The Creation Today Show provides you with the ammunition you need. We prepare you to defend your faith. Arm your children and raise up a family that glorifies the Creator, Jesus Christ. This season we're teaching you Battleship Apologetics. Science, history, individual experience, philosophy. Battleship Apologetics. Today's guest is astronomer Dr. Danny Faulkner from Answers in Genesis. Marianne goes to Mars in search of a fine-tuned planet in Can There Be Life on Other Planets? Imagine we take a flight to Mars. Mars is a very cold planet. The temperature can fluctuate between 60 degrees Fahrenheit during the day to as low as 200 below zero at night. The atmosphere is 100 times thinner than the Earth's and is made of 95% carbon dioxide. The environment is too hostile to sustain life. What if, when we explore Mars, we see a large structure in the distance? Is it natural, or was it put there? As we get closer, we see it looks designed. Inside, the air pressure is like the Earth's. It is a biodome, a pressurized sphere, allowing life to exist on Mars. It has water, plants, and animals. Its atmosphere has a warm greenhouse effect, and its air, its air is breathable. This biodome can sustain life. Theoretically, we could live there. How did this life-sustaining dome get here? Did it evolve naturally by chance? No. It had to have been built by intelligent beings not native to this harsh planet. When we fly back home, we see the ultimate biodome, planet Earth, operating in a very hostile, life-killing environment, outer space. To say that the Earth evolved naturally in outer space is like saying that biodome on Mars could have evolved naturally, too. Welcome to the Creation Today Show. Marianne, nice spacesuit. That was cool. Thank you. Thank you. So if we saw a biodome on a barren planet like Mars, we'd conclude that intelligent life must have built it. Obviously. But 
Shouldn't scientists make similar kind of common sense conclusions when we look at the placement of Earth in the universe? Unlike Earth, Mars has no breathable air, freezing temperatures during the day, much colder temperatures at night, no protection from UV radiation, no bacteria, no life. There's no way life could occur by chance, especially in that harsh, life-killing environment. Yeah, so when secular scientists look at the Earth, seeing it is a sphere of life sitting in a very hostile, life-killing environment, outer space, which has no air, no gravity, no life, no UV protection, can these scientists logically conclude that the Earth formed naturally by chance? Hmm. This is where we get secular science cornered. They are forced to consider the absurdity of that idea. Turns out that even the very existence of such a perfect place in the universe should be impossible. This apologetic argument is called fine-tuning. It reveals how the Earth and the universe around us has to be so precisely fine-tuned for life that it wouldn't even be possible without yeah. its perfection. There are fundamental constants with quantities within the elemental structure of the universe that have to be very, very precise. For example, if the fundamental constant of gravity was the tiniest bit off, there could be no life. We'll talk more about that later. One way to look at fine-tuning is to look at our neighboring planets. Imagine what Goldilocks would think about Venus and Mars compared to Earth. You heard that right, Goldilocks. There's actually a Goldilocks principle or Goldilocks zone. The planet Venus is too hot. The surface temperature is 900 degrees wow. Fahrenheit. That's warm. Its atmosphere traps way too much heat because it's closer to the sun and has greenhouse effect that is out of control. And the planet Mars is too cold. It can't retain the sun's heat because it's too far from the sun and has a very thin atmosphere that can really produce only a little greenhouse effect. But Earth. Yes. It's just right. Uh. <laughs> if it was 5% closer to the sun, the oceans would boil up. And if it was 1% further from the sun, the oceans would freeze over. The greenhouse effect is so precisely fine-tuned that it traps just the right amount of heat. Too much and we cook, too little and we would freeze. The Earth's just right position in our solar system and it's just right greenhouse effect and it's just right gravity and it's just right everything else make it the only place for life to exist. It's in the Goldilocks zone. It sounds a little special, doesn't it? It does. Well, in Jeremiah 51, 15 through 16, it says, he has made the earth by his power. Mm. He has established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of water in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Sounds like they knew exactly how special our atmosphere and our greenhouse vapors were. I mean, from reading that, that's interesting. Right. Like the design of Earth systems was not arbitrary, but very precise and controlled, created by the genius mind of Almighty God. So, 
Just how hard would it be for blind random chance to produce such a finely tuned universe? Well, you don't have to guess. We're going to show you what the chances are of a single cell evolving. This clip is from a film called Expelled No Intelligence Allowed. Welcome to the casino of life. Who wants to spin for a chance to win? Oh, sure. I'll give it a shot. What do I win? Take a look at this. How about the world's first single cell organism? This perfectly aligned string of proteins could be yours. Now, take a spin. I won. <laughs> Tina, tell him how many times he needs to do that to win the prize. 250. That's right, folks. And all in the correct order. But that's impossible. <laughs> We've heard that before, haven't we, Richard? Come on, Mother Nature. Do your thing. You stupid machine! I hate you! Yeah, that is an awesome movie. You're mm -hmm. definitely going to want to get that one. That's crazy. The odds needed for life to come from nothing are incredible. Exactly. So, have we answered our question yet? Could there be life on other planets? It's not looking like a possibility. But if you aren't convinced yet, up next, we have the closest thing we could get to a planet-searching astronaut <laughs> and astronomer. My friend Dr. Danny Faulkner of Answers in Genesis will join us to answer the question and explain to us just how finely tuned the universe and our Earth really are. Stick around. Creation Encounter of Hood River, Oregon is a field trip focused on ministry affiliated with the Design Science Association of Portland, Oregon. Creation Encounter offers day trips from a biblical creation science perspective in the breathtaking Columbia River Gorge. Family campouts throughout the Northwest, road guides, and other information glorifying Christ as Creator. For more information, visit them at www.creationencounter.com. Check out thecreationnetwork.org to discover more of the Creation Museums and outdoor creation field trips available to you. Explore the beauty of the night sky. Stargaze with a telescope, binoculars, or even your naked eye. Learn when and how to observe the planets and stars. Identify stars and their constellations. Astrophysicist Dr. Jason Lyle offers you and your family over 150 stunning full-color images to help you study the moon phases, solar eclipses, the sun, and more. Regardless of your age or your income, you can become an amateur astronomer with The Stargazer's Guide to the Night Sky. To order this book, Visit us at creationstore.org. You're watching Battleship Apologetics here on Creation Today. Welcome back. Our guest today, Dr. Danny Faulkner, is an astrophysicist. I think that means he can read palms, right? You hold up your palm and he's able to... <laughs> an astrologer we'll have to, physicist. They're kind of the same. We, we need to ask him about that. Dr. Faulkner, <laughs> welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> so how Thank do you, you do the whole palm thing? How does that work? Uh, if I told you, I have to kill you. Uh-oh. <laughs> but I do not want you to tell me, okay? okay. Now, a lot of people confuse astrology and astronomy. Mm-hmm. You're an astrophysicist. I, actually, I prefer to call myself an astronomer. I, you know, I've been doing this for decades, and I'm still not sure what the difference is. Wow. <laughs> That's great. So an astronomer, I, I, you know what? The first time I saw the rings of Saturn up close, well, I say up close, you know, from, from here on Earth was... Through his telescope wow. while we were out in California. It was oh. really, really neat. Nice. Well, Dr. Vogel, thing, isn't it? we're talking about the fine-tuning of the universe and how it's obviously designed. Can you tell us a little bit about this argument and where it's come and where it's going with this whole idea of fine-tuning? You know, there's even a name for it that's called the Anthropic mm-hmm. Principle. I think it was in 1972, yes. Brandon Carter uh, coined that ter- term. I don't think that man's a Christian man, by the way. But it's just a number of things about the universe, the uh, fundamental constants of the universe, the way the universe is put together, that sort of suggests that it's designed for our purpose, uh, for our existence. If you changed a few things about the universe, we would life would be impossible. We could not be here to observe the universe. And so uh, there's even a, even a whole book written on this called The Anthropic Principle, uh, written 30 years ago investigating this by a couple of men named Barrow and Tipler. And uh, what's interesting is, is they wrote over a thousand pages. And when they got done, their conclusion basically was, well, that's just what it is. The universe appears to be designed. There really isn't any design. Uh-huh. Sounds like Dawkins. So, <laughs> I find it remarkable that you know, people can face evidence and then just walk away from it as if they never saw it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, could you share with us some of these, uh, these constants? Yeah, if you, if you change the uh, the uh, force of which the the uh, electron is attracted to the nucleus of the atom, for instance, that's that's the thing uh, governed by what we call the uh, permittivity of free space. If you change that just a little bit, you change the structure of, of chemistry altogether. I mean, carbon probably wouldn't bond the way it does to make life possible, for wow. instance. Um, there are other arguments dealing uh, with that constant and others with the rate at which stars burn, giving you stability for something like, like the sun. Uh, and, and unfortunately, a lot of this stuff ties into billions of years in evolutionary ideas like the evolutionary idea of where the elements came from and all this sort of thing and stability over long periods of time. So it's a mixed bag as far as I'm concerned. Some of these things are really good arguments. Some of them are only good if you're buying into a very long period of time really? and even just a naturalistic approach to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been whole books written on this sort of thing. Then the Earth itself is, is, uh, seems very, uh, well, very improbable. Uh, there was a book written a number of years ago and then a DVD called The Privileged Planet, mm-hmm. uh, written by a Christian astronomer, by the way, and then another one called Rare Earth, written by a couple of people who don't can't claim to be Christians. Wow. So. Uh, these, uh, they, they just notice that there's a number of unusual things about the Earth. It's, it's uh, the, the sun that we orbit, for instance, the star we orbit. It's unusually stable for the kind of star it is. Uh, stars similar to the sun, what we call solar analogs, are hard to find because stars similar to the sun tend to be unstable. They have uh, chromospheric variability. Uh, that causes a tremendous amount of um, uh, variation, well, not a tremendous amount, but some variation in the output of the sun. As you know, people are so worried about global warming and climate change that would, could be disastrous. But on top of that, the, the way that it varies in brightness is through the uh, variations in what we call the chromosphere, the, uh, an outer layer of the, of the sun's atmosphere. 
And if the sun were like stars similar to it, uh, it, would, it would produce harmful amounts of, uh, of radiation. It would make life very difficult, if not impossible, on this planet. So the list just goes on and on, all these really clever things about the Earth and about the universe that seems to make the universe ideally suited for our existence. Wow, and they say, boy, are we lucky, right? Yeah, boy, are we lucky, and <laughs> so, so, so much so that you got to figure out another way to do it. One, time, one way they do is try to play the odds. They, as far as the Earth goes, they figure, well, there, you know, there, there are billions of stars in our galaxy, there are billions of galaxies, and even if just a tiny, tiny percentage of all planets are conducive for life and life could actually exist, you still got to play the percentages. Uh, even with low percentages, you're still going to have millions of planets like the Earth, even though we've not found any yet. We found over 2,000 extrasolar planets, that is, mm -hmm. planets orbiting other stars, and yet not one of them has uh, really been found to be Earth-like yet. No way! That's two over 2,000 planets. Yeah. That's amazing. That is incredible. And none of them like the Earth. That's that's the amazing thing is that uh, they're all very are very strange and and harsh for living conditions. That's only because, Marianne, we haven't gone to Mars yet to help bring mm -hmm. it to the state that it needs to be mm -hmm. for life. That's the only problem there. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, we keep sending probes to Mars, have been for 50 years, and every time we send a Mars probe there, it uh, kind of slams the door, door shut on, on life there. Mm -hmm. But then they come back a couple years later with, uh, well, we just have to look in the right places in the right way. So. Uh, there's this trend over and over and over again, slamming the door shut. It shows the desperate nature of the search here. Mm -hmm. You know, on the, on the grandest scheme, though, they've, they've tried to hedge their bets, a thing called the multiverse. Okay. Uh, this idea is that there, there's really an infinity of universes, <laughs> that uh -huh. the, our universe is just one of all of these things. And connected to this is this idea that uh, universes can give birth to other universes. A little quantum fluctuation takes place in a little tiny por portion of this universe, that gives birth to a whole new universe that pops away from our universe and starts its own thing. And this is a continuing process. And presumably our own universe came about in the same sort of manner. And uh, the thing is, the idea is every, every time a new universe comes along, it has its uh, properties randomly permuted. So every universe is different. And in a vast majority of universes, life is impossible because the, the attraction of the electron, for instance, to the, the nucleus and other, other features. And uh, so it's no surprise then they'd say if there's an infinity of universes that only a small percentage can support life, it's not surprising then that we're living in a universe where life is possible. So and they, they've realized now that, that life, um, a universe like ours seems to be very improbable. So the way to beat it again is through all these probabilities, having all of these many, many other universes. You'll notice that there's not a bit of science in this. This is no. all philosophy, it's theology, it's, it's, there's no science at all because you can't test something like this. If something truly is not part of this universe, it's another universe entirely, you cannot test that scientifically. Hey, wow. Dr. Faulkner, thank you so much. We're running out of time. We'd like to have an extended interview with you. Definitely. Could you stick around for that? Sure, yeah. Thank you. You don't mind sticking around and making fun of what some people say <laughs> that we cannot test scientifically in a loving way. Okay, this is going to be yes. good. It is, it if, is. If you want to watch the extended interview with Dr. Faulkner, go to creationtoday.org uh, where we're going to talk more. And I got some more questions for him. I'm going to try to stump him with one. We'll see if we can do it. You can check that out at creationtoday.org. We'll be right back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. According to the Bible, 
God created our universe in six days. On the fourth day, God created our sun, our moon, and the other planets of our solar system. Then it says, he made the stars also. Is this true history? Is this how our universe came to be? According to secular scientists, the answer is no. Most secular astronomers believe that the heavenly bodies formed by gradual natural processes over billions of years. They say that this idea is scientifically sound, that it's based on solid scientific principles, that it matches all the evidence. But this isn't true. In this video, you'll discover how the universe proclaims the glory of its creator as we explore its stars and galaxies. To order this DVD, visit us at creationstore.org. Do you find yourself jumping from site to site or wading through thousands of search results to find answers about God's Word and His creation? Well, no more. SearchCreation.org brings the top creation and apologetic websites together into one search engine while ignoring the thousands of sites that push lies and half-truths. So if you have questions about molecular chemistry, deep space, dinosaurs, or how to defend your faith in a godless world, visit us at SearchCreation.org. Let's take a minute, a Creation Minute, here on Creation Today. Welcome to Creation Minute, I'm Eric Hoven. In this episode, we want to discuss how big is big. To find that out, let's go to the simulation room. With a diameter of nearly 8,000 miles, the Earth is big. But not that big when you compare it to, say, Jupiter, or even the Sun. Or when you step outside of our solar system, stars like Arcturus or Antares. And just when you don't think it could get any bigger, it does. Wow. That's the Earth. Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? No wonder God says, heaven is my throne and the Earth my footstool. To learn more about creation, visit us at creationminute.com. Planning your next vacation? Why not make it a creation vacation with the help of our new website, visitcreation.org. Here you'll find many activities from museums and science centers to caves and canyons, all teaching the truth about our great creator. Why wait? Go to visitcreation.org today to begin planning your creation vacation. You're watching Battleship Apologetics here on Creation Today. From galaxies and stars to atoms and subatomic particles, the very structure of our universe is determined by very, very precise numbers. Alter one by the tiniest amount and no life could exist. So we have to ask again, can there be life on other planets? Not according to these finely tuned requirements. A fine-tuned universe needs a tuner. It needs a designer. But secular science can't live with that conclusion. So yeah. they have to formulate the multiverse theory. Yeah. 
You know, many believe that through the field of quantum physics or quantum mechanics, we can explain away a single universe in favor of infinite universes. But quantum physics has only been around for about 100 years. Yeah. And guess what? The early pioneers of modern physics were mostly theists, particularly Christians. They didn't see their discoveries as eliminating God. Rather, they saw them as illuminating God's methods. John Polkinghorne has the same mindset. As a lifelong Christian, he is one of the scientists responsible for discovering the sub-nuclear particles. Uh, they're called quarks, a critical part of, quantum, of the quantum model. He retired after 25 years of teaching at Cambridge University in order to become an Anglican priest. His scientific credentials are such that even aggressive atheists like Richard Dawkins are at a loss to write off his faith as a delusion or simply a confusion. Mm -hmm. British astrophysicist Fred Hoyle wrote, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Wow. If an eternal creator exists, and if he's so apparent through fine-tuning, what kind of a creator is he? Can we infer things about him from what he created? In other words, can we understand the cause by or based on its effect? The answer to this is Yes, we can. Check out this list. God must be, or the creator, the cause, must be supernatural in nature as he created time and space. He must be powerful, exceedingly powerful. He must be eternal, self-existent. He must be omnipresent. He created space and is not limited by it. He must be timeless and changeless. He created time. He must be immaterial because he transcends space and this physical world. He must be personal. The impersonal cannot create personality. He must be infinite and singular as you cannot have two infinites. He must be diverse yet have unity as unity and diversity exist in nature. He must be supremely intelligent. Only a cognitive being can produce a cognitive being. He must be purposeful. As he deliberately created everything, he must be moral. No moral law can be had without a giver. And he must be caring, or no moral laws would have ever been given. That's all true about the God of the Bible. He is supernatural, powerful, eternal, omnipresent, timeless, and changeless. He's immaterial, personal, necessary, infinite, yet singular. Diverse, yet with unity, intelligent, purposeful, moral, and caring. Wow. Yeah. Now that is the God you should get to know. Absolutely. If you don't know Christ, the Creator, as your Savior, please visit creationtoday.org and read our article, How to Be Saved. You too can begin this personal relationship with your Creator right now. If you enjoyed this, you would love our new online classes. They even offer high school students dual enrollment so you can get college credit while you're still in high school. You can learn how to defend the faith 
and be used by God to change people's eternal destiny. Wow, that is a calling worth pursuing. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Get the ammunition you need to defend your faith by visiting our website for up-to-date content, attending one of our live events, and shopping online at creationstore.org. We are Creation Today.